0: hello and welcome to two profs to a pod i'm tanisha i'm beth and we are professors and faculty developers at glendale community college here in arizona
1: and we like talking about education learning and other stuff
0: And today we are actually going to be focusing on a book today, a book that has been buzzing uh, in several higher education circles. Uh, It is a book called Robot Proof Higher Education in the Age of Artificial Intelligence by Joseph Aoun. And we are so excited to talk about this book. Um, I heard about this book over the summer uh, in several conversations. So of course, I went out and read it. Uh, and Beth, how did you come
1: across this? So last spring, um, some colleagues and I went to the Online Learning Consortium's annual conference, which was in Nashville, and a colleague, Chris Nielsen, and I attended a session that was about trends in education, and I can't remember the session title, but I'll try to link to the conference on our, uh, in our show notes, uh, but the book was mentioned in that session. And we both wrote, wrote down the title, and then when we came back to campus, Chris said, hey, we should fill out a summer learning grant with our Center for Teaching and Learning and do a book study over the summer. So we got 10 of our colleagues together and decided to read the book, and we set up a Canvas class and a discussion section there, and then there was a lot of synchronicity. That was happening about the book because you and I talked to our college president. Yes. um, And found out that Terry was also reading the book. Yes. And so there was a little moment there where we were like, what? We're all reading this book right now? That's so crazy.
0: Well, pretty much everybody except for Tanisha, I felt like I was behind the times. Because Beth had talked about it. Then Terry, uh, Dr. Terry Laber-Ruiz talked
1: about it. And then I said, I need to go get this book. And that's when you went and got the book. Yes. Yeah. So I think, well, and then Terry also sent out an email to the entire campus. Yes. Inviting people to read it. Yes. I think at this point on our campus, we have quite a few more people reading that book. I Absolutely. I don't want to guess at numbers, but more than the 10 that we started with for our uh, summer grant program and our book study.
0: Yes, and we felt that since people are talking about the book, why not talk about it on the podcast? Mm-hmm. So we are just going to have a conversation about it today. We're going to deviate a little bit from our usual format. Uh, we actually kind of have yes. a different format since we are talking about the book. So yes. we'll just... Jump right into things.
1: We, we are going a little bit rogue today, except at the end when we talk about what's on our radar. We're yes. going to come back to our what's on our radar segment.
0: Absolutely. So we're looking forward
1: to that. <clears throat> but other than that, it's going to be just about the book. And I, I do miss our regular I do <laughs> segments. We haven't had one for a while. and I I hope that we come back to one soon. Will yes, you?
0: absolutely. Yeah. Um, my, maybe the next one, I think. Okay. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. So we'll go into our rogue format. And uh, the first question we're going to be dealing with is, well, what is this book about? Right? I think that's very important. And I the best way I can really say what the book is about is that Um, The book is about the role higher education needs to play in the era of artificial intelligence. So uh, Dr. Joseph Awun makes the point that artificial intelligence is here and it will continue to permeate the workforce. So pretty Mm -hmm. much it's here. It's not going anywhere. So the author believes that higher education needs to focus on cultivating skills in the classroom that cannot be replicated by AI. So that's what I got from the general theme
1: of what the book is about. That you want to add to that? The only thing that I would add to that is just that the structure of the book really sets you up to be more okay with looking at the fact that we're going to need to make some changes, right? Because he starts the book with where at other points in history has higher education made shifts to accommodate Uh, the students that were coming to them and to accommodate the culture in which those students were uh, growing up. So he says we're at a shift. We're at at another one of those shifts right now because of artificial intelligence. So we need to uh, adapt. So yeah. So why do we need to talk about
0: Why do we need to talk about it and why has this book gained so much traction and interest? I'm really intrigued by this idea. I'm a person who's always intrigued by ideas. So this definitely caught my attention. Uh, I think we need to talk about it because from what we have seen in the historical context that... Beth referenced to in the book, higher education has often for the most part had the responsibility of cultivating the skills students needed for the workforce. Mm-hmm. So AI is now the presence in the workforce that students need to pre- be prepared to compete against. Um, I've, I've also heard uh, not just compete against, but work alongside. So I guess yes. there's, there's two sides of, of this when we talk about AI Um and the question we need to ask ourselves in higher education is, are we preparing our students for the present and the future? The question applies to our entire community. So when I think about AI and I think about computers, whether we're competing against computers or working alongside computers, it's going to impact faculty, staff and students. So this is not just, a I think, a faculty matter. I think it is going to impact faculty when we when we consider who's going to be teaching these students these skill sets. Mm-hmm. But I think about mm-hmm. other areas where staff are going to be impacted, right? Like what if staff are doing jobs that AI can replace? You mm-hmm. know, what skills do they have or what skills do they need? Just a lot of different things to really think about. Um, so that's kind of where I'm coming from with that. So I, I think the question really applies to our community as far as are we preparing our students for the present and the future?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that we can do is to expand our professional reading. Yes. So as educators, you know, well, I read inside higher ed. I read um, some other journals that apply to my field. So I feel like at this point, after having read this book, I need to add some professional reading that that I never would have considered before, necessarily, that's more about technology and AI specifically, to kind of keep me close to the edge so I know, well, what is AI doing right now? And right. what is it going to do in six months? What are people saying? Yes. So that, at the very least, I could talk to my students about it, but then also... Help them for that change that's coming, and I don't know. Just I guess just increase my overall awareness. Well, I,
0: I think that's really important because the book does talk about the fear of robots, right? Mm-hmm. There's this oh fear of robots and fear of AIs, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mostly, you know, this idea that the robots are taking over um, completely, one hundred and twenty percent, and we're gonna be living on the streets while the yeah. robots do all the work. And I think it is helpful to inform ourselves of what is really going on and what's not. Mm-hmm. And I think this information is important because it helps to reduce some of that fear and anxiety because some of that fear and anxiety is due to uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And anytime you're uncertain about anything or you don't have the knowledge on it, you're, you're going to be anxious about it. So I'm sure our students and even adults are walking around with this fear So I think it's our responsibility as educators to make sure we are aware of what is really going on, especially when it comes to AI. Because if you have this fear factor and you're like, AI is going to take over our jobs and I'm going to be homeless, uh, that could be problematic because that isn't the case with every piece of AI from what I have read. There are some instances where Where AI is coming into the picture, but as a tool, as an aid, as something that you work with um, and something that you can work alongside as opposed to it just completely taking over. Mm -hmm. So there's that aspect of it as well. So yes, there is a little bit of competition, but on the other end, there is also that other piece that... We have the ability to work alongside technology. And how one of the benefits, which I think is really interesting, is that you have computers or you have AI take, like, one piece or component or one job. Like, if we think about our personal lives in our life, and that that computer or that robot will take care of it. And it actually provides us the opportunity, the time to actually invest in other things. So, for example, I think about, like, the Roomba. Mm -hmm. And to me, you know, you know, a smart little vacuum, smart mop, whatever that thing is, Um, and how it's like a smart vacuum, Mm -hmm. right? Smart mop. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, well, this is nice because now I don't have to take two hours to clean my floor. I can actually take that time to maybe spend some time with my family. Mm -hmm. Right. And we can sit and watch Netflix and eat popcorn. Mm -hmm. So it gives me the opportunity to spend time in other areas so that I have the opportunity to actually spend time with them, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's another way to look at it, right? Like if we have computers that are helping us, like maybe with some aspect in the classroom, right? Then for example, that could help us to have more time to focus on some of the skills that we need to cultivate with our students so that they can be more prepared for the workforce. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one of the perspectives. You're
1: you're giving us the positive ways of looking at Uh, it.
0: Yeah, it's not all completely negative. It's not all doom and gloom, Mm -hmm. okay? But we have to look at all sides, OK, but I'm not naive, you know, no. enough to say that they're not replacing jobs because they are right. So if you have like, for example, the, the kiosk at McDonald's mm-hmm. right up the street from our school, it's located near Cactus, not too far from here. And how you can put your order in a kiosk and all you have to do is just go pick up your food and you don't have to talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. And yes, I did use it. (laughs) So (laughs) there is that aspect of things as well. So I'm not naive. I'm not saying that it's not going to happen. It's not happening. Yes, it is happening. That's Mm -hmm. just the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, The other side of it is that it's also a tool. So what are we doing in higher education to deal with both of these issues? What Mm -hmm. do we need to do?
1: What do we like about the book?
0: Uh, What I like about the book is how the author actually proposed a learning model in the book. There's a whole chapter called A Learning Model for the Future. And the author talks about a lot of different things. Uh, It talks about creative thinking. The author talks about new literacies that we need to focus on for our students. Like, for example, uh, data literacy, uh, technology literacy, and also human literacy, as well which definitely resonated with me being a communication professor i was like yes mm-hmm. the human component as far as helping students to develop skills in those three areas so that they can be uh, more skilled in areas that i guess are a little bit more difficult for technology to accomplish itself mm-hmm. if that makes any sense like the ability to collaborate right on a team with others yes. from other disciplines that's a that's that human literacy piece that i was really interested in a computer can't do that right
1: From what I know. That's what I liked uh, about the book, too, coming from a literature background, an emphasis on skills that are the real human skills of communication, collaboration, how to understand people, relationships. And so I really liked the emphasis on qualities that make us human and separate us from other species, including AI, And then there was another emphasis in the book that I really appreciated, and that was the emphasis on lifelong learning that, you know, I I think, I don't know, we kind of talk about, but that chapter in the book that talked about lifelong learning just made it very clear that we're kind of already there, that people are having to retrain pretty regularly, that people are coming back to school and really needing us to help them with whatever the careers are going to be of the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Which is so important because somebody – I was in a meeting earlier today. We had this conversation and someone was talking about – this freelance economy, right? How people are going to be mm-hmm. doing more contracted work. So, since they're doing more contracted independent work, they might need certain skill sets, specific right. skill sets that can help them to become better. So, that could mean coming back to school, mm-hmm. but focusing on a specific skill that would help them to grow. So, mm-hmm. kind of refining and retuning and adopting new mm-hmm. skill sets. Mm-hmm. So, that is also something else
1: that we need to consider for the lifelong learner. And do we have that available to them? And so, I could see some adults who you know, maybe had been doing something in a spot Mm -hmm. like that, Mm -hmm. coming back for additional training or, you know, even making a career shift.
0: Right, right. Especially since nowadays, so many people make several career shifts, Mm -hmm. right, in their Mm -hmm. careers. I think I heard the number as high as like seven, eight, nine. I mean, it's a high number. I think maybe on average, maybe seven times. And that's me guessing. Uh, But there are some career shifts going on. And maybe that means having
1: to focus on those skill sets. Mm -hmm. So how do we relate it to our own work? We might have already talked about that a little bit, but...
0: Yeah, I mean, because we have to think about that, right? As far as, well, how, how can this impact us? And, and I have the perspective of a faculty member, right? Because now that we're talking about this shift in higher education, it's going to trickle down to the, to the classroom. So one of the things I'm thinking about is having to rethink my curriculum, right? Like mm-hmm. right? We have to ask ourselves about... Our content and we have to ask ourselves if most of the content in our curriculum is actually helping students to cultivate the proposed learning model of the future which includes like for example thinking creatively the new literacies which has to do with data technology and uh, human literacy and then this other idea called the cognitive capacities uh, which has to do with things like creative thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Which is something that we've actually been talking about for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, Creative thinking. um, Well, sorry, I messed up. Uh, Thinking creatively is one piece of the learning model. Mm -hmm. And one of the cognitive capacities was not actually creative thinking. I messed that up. It's actually critical thinking. Critical thinking is something that we're always talking about in higher education. Mm -hmm. And now we we have to ask ourselves, are we cultivating Uh, critical thinking are we cultivating systems thinking are we cultivating entrepreneurship these were all of the cognitive capacities that the author pointed out or even Mm -hmm. cultural agility which is just this ability to just kind of manage yourself on a global level like there are so many pieces so I'm thinking about my curriculum right now it's like does my curriculum do that and and when I read the book it makes me think about like for example like higher order higher order thinking skills and lower order thinking skills and when i think about higher order thinking skills i'm thinking about integration and application and synthesis uh compared to like rote memorization Mm -hmm. and definitions and memorizing things because Mm -hmm. from what i understand from ai is that computers nowadays can do some of those lower order thinking skill skill sets Uh, But computers can't necessarily do the higher order thinking skills, skill sets Mm -hmm. and how we need to teach our students and cultivate the higher order thinking skills or the the cognitive capacities that the author pointed out because the cognitive capacities is pretty much where computers or AI are lacking. Mm -hmm. So they're lacking in, for example, uh, like the the literacy component that the author was talking about or the cognitive capacity. And now I'm rethinking my curriculum and I'm thinking, where are we investing most of our time? Mm -hmm. Are we investing most of our time with skill sets that a computer can do? Or are we investing our time in skill sets that my students need to be competitive in the the AI workforce? Mm -hmm. So before this book, I've kind of, I kind of had thoughts about that, um when you think about some of our other teaching models you know like the flip classroom mm-hmm. you know the mm-hmm. what i'm going to call the upside down bloomberg's taxonomy in a way where uh we're actually putting those higher order thinking skills at the top of our priority type of ideas so that's kind of what i was thinking with how to rethink my curriculum. So it's like, so the things that they can kind of like just read and memorize the definition, they can do that at home. But when it comes to the classroom, we're focusing on problem solving and decision-making and, um, really deeper level type stuff so that Mm -hmm. we can just continue to cultivate, cultivate, cultivate. Because I feel that when it comes to, our students, I think they kind of struggle with some of those pieces, right? That critical thinking piece, synthesis, Mm -hmm. analysis, and integration. I'm always trying to get my students to do that more. And after reading this book, I see that it's absolutely imperative Mm -hmm. that I help to cultivate those skills in the classroom.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about why.
0: Yes. Also,
1: Uh, why we do that. Yeah, certainly I've, I've been reflecting on my own classroom and uh, what I do there, and ways in which I can focus a little bit more on on some of those human skills. And of course, I'm teaching composition. So students are writing, they're grappling with ideas. I teach literature. So I work in diversity as often as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, I know that just by the nature of that subject that it's helping. So uh, but yeah, it kind of caused me to think. Let's skip to how we would rate the book, yes. and then if you have a critique, you can mention it there. So we're we're gonna give it a stars rating. This is out of how many stars? Five.
0: Yes, out of five stars. Okay, out of
1: five stars. How many stars do you give the book?
0: Um, I gave the star uh, the book three stars. I enjoyed reading Ooh. about the idea and the support behind it, um, and I wanted to read more about the how. Uh, But at the same time, I don't really want to knock the author for that because Mm -hmm. maybe um, that wasn't at the forefront of the author's thinking Mm -hmm. when they were writing. Uh, Maybe the author was more focused on building and expanding on the argument presented in the book since it's going to be a new idea to many of the readers. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get a whole, whole lot of the how, but maybe the how is our responsibility. That's what we need to figure Mm -hmm. out. So I gave it three
1: out of out of five for that. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. I was thinking about it. And I give the book five stars. Um, I was thinking about it as this was more of a part one. and maybe part two was coming, but you're saying part two is us, and that's fine too. Mm. But I'm giving the book a five because I think it did what it set out to do and e- and even though I might want more, like that's my thing. Mm. Um, but there was context, there was uh, motivation to change. Uh, there were examples. So I think it was I think it was good for what it was doing, right right. He, right. He's not giving us here's the blow by blow plan that you yeah. need to follow the manual, right mm-hmm. um, f- to make this change happen. I think everybody's going to have to s- kind of struggle through with that. right. Um, so yeah, I think that makes it more fun. Yeah. I, I it, it wouldn't take long to read. No, I don't think. It, it can be, um, I, I wouldn't call it super dense, but maybe just slightly dense at times because it does have some statistics and numbers. But if you like that, that's your thing. Yeah. You know, you would especially like it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what's on our radar?
0: What's on our radar? I have, I always have several things, so I'm going to keep it short. Um, Let's see. The first thing I'll start with is there is this individual by the name of Lewis Howes. I'm sure I'm probably behind. He's barely on my radar right now. He is a lifestyle entrepreneur. He was a former athlete until he got injured. Um, he created this idea called the School of Greatness. He has a podcast. He has a YouTube channel where he interviews inspiring minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm always a fan of podcasts where there are interviews. So I listened to several of them. Um, he interviewed this athlete by the name of Brooke Ints, which who I absolutely love. She's a CrossFit athlete. So that's how I kind wait, of wait. Really what's her name? Brooke Ints.
1: Okay.
0: Um, she's a CrossFit athlete. Many may not be familiar with her, but you might be more familiar with Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. So he did release an interview with Kobe Bryant where he talked about the Mamba mentality, and it was really interesting to kind of get some information on that. So if you're into like that self help motivational, you just want to hear people's stories, um, how they got to where they were. Uh, Lewis House is definitely an interesting person to uh, look into, so, and let's
1: let's link to that in the show notes. Yes, we too. will. We'll link okay. to that in
0: the show notes. And then my second one, which I have to share. I have to share this one. Uh, there is this u- viral YouTube video of this woman by the name of Mary Halsey, uh, AKA she has now been given this title, AKA Missy Elliott's funky white sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and because her video went viral because she decided to do, uh, Missy Elliott's work it mm-hmm. for karaoke in the park. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny and so entertaining. And she actually ended up on Ellen. And she was being interviewed on the Ellen show. And then when she got up to perform, Missy Elliott showed up and surprised her. And they sang together. And they sang together. So so I had to just, she's on my radar. If you can, Mary Halsey, uh, watch the viral video first of her performing Missy Elliott's Work It in the park. And then um, try to see if you can find the video from the Ellen Show where Missy Elliott showed mm-hmm. up. I, I loved. I laughed well, so we'll hard. Well, we'll just
1: we'll just link to it.
0: Yeah, we'll just link to it in the we'll show. We'll Make notes. it easy. Yes. So that's on my radar.
1: Yeah. That was that was awesome. That was funny. Uh, okay. My radar. Well, one one of the things I'm thinking about right now is the Arizona treasure hunt that's coming up at the end of October. Uh, this has been going on in Phoenix uh, for. Wow. 60 years, 70 years, Um, and it's basically a a night where teams of six get together and roam around in the middle of the night in the desert looking for clues and solving clues, and it's pretty much a giant nerd fest that started with a bunch of engineers, and I I think there's still a lot of engineers involved, but it's spread out a little bit because obviously I'm not an engineer. Um, but, yeah, I've been doing it for a few years now. Last year, uh, my team came in fourth. Wow. Out of nice. about 80 teams. Nice. So we're we're heading toward number one. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, so that's on October 27th. And then the other thing that's on my radar uh, that I just it, – it's a new book I started reading. It's called 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now by Jaron Lanier. Mm-hmm who is a Silicon Valley pioneer, um, and also a musician. And it's kind of interesting. But um, yeah, it's so he's laying out 10 arguments why we should all quit social media. And it's, it's pretty interesting. I so far, I am liking the book, my expectations are not super high for it. It's very conversational. It's informal. Um, he's very much talking directly to us. This is not a work that is uh, that I would consider like a scholarly, serious work, but it's, it's interesting, and he says some interesting things, and he is in the field of uh, technology and thinking and ethics. So yeah,
0: there I you think have that's it. great I'm interesting I
1: can think of mm-hmm. several arguments for why you should delete your social media
0: account right now <laughs> but I, I, I don't have a book so yeah. read the book <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway so um, I think that's it I don't I think have that's anything it. else and I think that's all we have for you guys today so thank you so much for listening we appreciate you and make sure you join us for the next episode of Two Cross and a Pod